Amen. All right, friends, are you ready to go? Yes. yes. All right. One of you is ready. Summer. <laughs> Summer is upon us, isn't it? Uh, obviously, we have a lot going on here. We're excited about all the things we just mentioned. Uh, in addition to VBS and Worship Night, or even our students are going on summer camp. Uh, lots of summer fun. I'll be hitting Whitewater Bay like a regular every couple days. Cliff dive, lazy river, just laying back. I don't know what you do, but that's what I do. Um, we, are, we are in John chapter 4. You can get to that uh, if you want to be looking at that story. We've been in this story for a few weeks. We've been talking about the woman at the well, as you guys, if you've been with us, know. And uh, if you haven't, I'll catch you up really quick. There's this story about Jesus. And Jesus goes to this place called Samaria, and there's a well there, and they call it Jacob's Well. And he goes, and he sits on this well, and he begins waiting on someone. He's waiting on a woman to show up. And, and there's this beautiful picture of God waiting on her, even though she's not the type of person that most people think Jesus would, would wait for to meet with. And so she shows up, and he strikes up a conversation with her. And he begins talking to her, and she's immediately struck like, I, I don't know if we should be talking. I don't, I don't know if we should be. There's a number of reasons why. There's all these barriers in her mind that she thinks they should not be having conversation. She brings up those barriers like gender and race and religion and says, we shouldn't be talking. We don't have these things in common. But these weren't barriers to Jesus. And he begins to tell her about this well that she could draw from. It's a different well than the one he was sitting on. Because remember, he was a spiritual well, and he was a well sitting on a well, right? And he was sitting there, and he said, I have something more for you. It's called living water, and you can drink from this. She's, in, she's intrigued. She says, I want this water. And he says, yes. So he, he, he says this with absolute grace. No matter, no matter where you're from, what your background is, I'm receiving you. I'm giving you this water in absolute grace. But then he says, but there's one thing. You have this, this sin in your life, this thing that's, that's, not, what, that's not right, that's not well. And he, he also not just brings in grace, but he brings in the truth right alongside it. And we talked about that last week. And he's this perfect picture of 100% grace and 100% truth, and he, he engages her. And then she has this dialogue, though, about all these particular arguments that she may be or questions she may have about religion, and he begins to tell her more of the truth, not just about her own life, but about who he is. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today of this interaction between these two. And so we're going to start in verse 25. Uh, we're going to get into a small detail that we haven't yet read about the story um, that I think is quite interesting and worth our time today. So verse 25, we're going to jump right into it. So again, Jesus says all this stuff, and then he says, the woman said, the woman said, I know that Messiah, and I read this last week, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. So again, Jesus just shared all this truth with her, right? And she goes, yeah, 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 I don't know about all that. But when the Messiah comes, then we'll get it all figured out, which I, this is where the irony drips, right? She is talking to the Messiah. And, she, and then Jesus declares in verse 26, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, right when he says this, an interruption occurs. Just then the disciples return. Do you guys remember where the disciples were? They were getting food, right? Now, I don't know why it takes all 12 of them to go get food. I still can't wrap my mind around this. If you've ever taken your whole family to get groceries, it's a bad idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the kids are asking for like cheesy puffs and like fruit by the foot, stuff you don't buy. But you're buying it. You're putting it in the basket, right? So this was an expensive trip in my mind. Here they come back loaded down with groceries. 
Sorry. His disciples returned and were surprised. Okay, listen to this. They were surprised. What were they surprised about? To find him talking with a woman. Can you believe this? Controversy. There's this barrier, right? But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Ew. Sorry. That's just the way I read it. There's humor in the Bible. <laughs> so no one at John writes this, and I believe he writes this very intentionally. Like, he, they wanted to ask, why are you talking to this woman? Because remember, the woman thing is a big deal. This gender thing is a big deal. The race, he's talking to a Samaritan woman. They wanted to be like, what are you doing? What do you want? Why are you here? Why are you talking to Jesus? Don't you know he's better than you? This is what the disciples wanted to say. And I believe that John puts this in there because he says they were surprised. But they had been with Jesus long enough that they knew that he operated under a different set of rules, right? That he did not operate like everyone else operated in the culture around him. So they're like, we better just hold our tongue here and let's just see what Jesus is doing. So no one asked, and they waited. And then in verse 28, Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now next week we're going to talk about this village, this town. But I want to focus today on the first part of verse 28, which I just read. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town. So she left. She forgot her bucket. You ever go somewhere and forget to bring the very thing you meant to bring? You know what I'm talking about? You go to work, you don't have your phone, you don't have your computer, anybody been there? You're like, I gotta go back home now. You go to, the, you go to school and you forgot your homework. That's what you tell your teacher, right? I forgot it. I did it, but I forgot it. Or go, talking about groceries, you go to the grocery store, you forget your shopping list. Anybody done this? How many of you guys make shopping lists, by the way? Who does not make the shopping list? Who just goes to the store? You're just like, whatever I'm feeling, filet mignon, whatever's happening today, that's what I'm getting. <laughs> but some of us, who likes to make the list and bring the list? Yes, and here's the thing about the list. We actually love the list more than the food we're buying. We love making the list, don't we? I for, have forgotten the list, and I have went before we forget things that happen. So let's think about this. She left the bucket. She left the water jar. She forgot it. She didn't care about it anymore. The very reason she came was for, because of this bucket. Now this is, this is an important detail to me. This is not just the detail that's in the story. This is not something John just wrote like he's writing. He's like, oh yeah, she forgot the bucket. It was kind of weird. She left it there. I think he wrote this very intentionally. He's showing us something here. He's showing us something very important about this interaction that she came to this well with a bucket. She left the well without it. She came to the well to fill the bucket. The whole reason she was there was to fill that bucket. The whole reason Jesus and her were talking was because she was there to fill the bucket. And yet, when she leaves, she doesn't have the bucket with her. She doesn't take it with her. You ever, I mean, have, you ever, have you ever forgot why you went into a room? This is what happens. You go into a room, you're like, you spin around, you're like, what am I doing in here? And you do the little like, thinking emoji, and you're trying to figure it out. And, and then you finally go, oh, it's the pen or it's the book or whatever. This is what happens. She doesn't really figure it out. She just leaves. She forgets why she's even there. This is what Jesus does. This is this really beautiful picture of Jesus upending everything about what she thought was important in that moment. Jesus does this. 
And maybe this is why John put this in here. Maybe this is the detail that he's trying to get, get, us, get us to see that, hey, she's exchanging what is natural for what is spiritual. She's exchanging for what is temporary for what is eternal. Is that what's going on here? Is this what, what John is showing us? Probably in some ways, yes, this is exactly what he's showing us. But I think in other ways, John's showing us something even more. He's showing us something about ourselves. He's showing us something that I think is for every one of us because this bucket represents every one of us in some ways. She would go every day, twice a day, to fill this bucket. This is what she could do, right? In fact, this is what she did. But I believe Jesus was starting to give her a glimpse of not only what she could do, but what he can do and what he does whenever someone would actually taste and see this water that he's offering. He was giving her a glimpse, and it changed everything, and it changed what mattered. And when he did that, she left the bucket. It reminds me of another story in Scripture that you guys are probably familiar with. Remember when Jesus was calling the disciples, and there's the famous story of whenever they're out fishing. They're out fishing, and then he says, Hey, fishermen, drop your what? Nets and follow me. Drop what you do. Drop that thing that provides for you and follow me and I'll show you what's possible. This is what Jesus is essentially saying. Now there's some more details to that story in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 is a great version of the story, especially um, pointing out the, the, if you will, the calling of a guy named Simon who would later become, no, become known as Philip. I mean, excuse me, Peter. Um, Luke Chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, I guess that's what you do, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. One of these fishermen was a man named Simon. Okay, So Simon is there, and again, he would become known as the disciple Peter. Jesus sees two empty boats. And he sees the fishermen that are there washing their nets. Now later on we'll read the verse that says that they had went out fishing all night long and they had caught absolutely nothing. So if you catch nothing, it's a bad night when you're a fisherman because no fish means what? No money. I don't know if that's what you said, but I'm going to... I just heard a, a murmur. No fish means no money. And so Peter was washing his net and if a fisherman is washing his net in this time, this is a sign that He's done fishing for a while. You don't wash your nets. You don't put them all up because it's a lot of work until you're done and not just done for a little bit, but done for a while. So Peter, probably frustrated after a long night of no fish and no money, no food, he says, I'm done. I'm done for now. And so this is what Jesus does in verse number three. He got into one of the boats, meaning Jesus, the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So, again, where was Jesus before this? He was standing by the sea. And what were the people doing? They were pressing in around him. So this could be, just be a practical detail, like, hey, I'd like a little space here. And so he gets in a boat, goes into the shallow water. He's sitting in the boat. The people are all on the bank, right? And he's teaching them from the boat. Then in verse number 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Hey, 
put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, or I guess we could say Simon says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So, I mean, this story is like so Jesus, isn't it? This is like the biggest catch of their life. And Jesus was there to tell them where to catch the fish. This is like dripping and oozing with, oh yeah, God's powerful. But this is not just another scene. This is a significant thing that happens kind of underneath the text here. Because Jesus actually tells them to do something that makes absolutely no sense. To go into the deep water and to catch the fish not to mention the time of day that we're talking about right now. And so any trained fisherman in the Sea of Galilee knew how to catch fish. You do it in the shallow waters. And so you can imagine Simon, when he would fish, he would actually go into the shallow waters, probably stand in the water up to his waist, up to his, you know, up to his chest, and he would do what? He would throw a net, and he would catch the net, or catch the fish and bring him in that way. And they knew that that's where you catch fish. You don't catch fish in the deep water because you can't put the, the net down deep enough to get them. And so you catch fish in the shallows at night. That's why they had been fishing all night, because they come up when? To the shallows at night. You don't catch fish. If you're a fisherman, you know this, and, and I'm a really skilled fisherman. I know this. I, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sort of like them when they go fishing, and I don't catch anything. But nonetheless, I know where they come, right? So they know that you don't catch fish in the deep, and they also know you don't catch fish in the middle of the day. Jesus has been teaching all morning. It's the peak of the day. It's afternoon. So it's hot, probably. He says, hey, Peter, let you down. go on to the deep. Is this intentional? I mean, what is Jesus saying? Is it really about the fish? I mean, it's about like, he's like, oh, yeah, no, you know, I'm going to give you a little bit more. Is this about money? Like, I, if, you, if, you, if you just do what I say, I'm going to give you more money? Is that what this is about? I don't think so. I think that, just like John in this detail, if she left her bucket, I think there's a detail inside of this that's like, Jesus wants us in over our heads. You know what I'm talking about? He doesn't want us playing around the shallow waters. Because the shallow waters is where we can do things under our own strength and under our own control, can't we? When you're in the shallow, you got your feet on the ground, you're able to throw the nets, do all the work yourself. But when you're in the deep water, when you're doing things, if you will, from a deeper, more significant place, there's something that's out of your control. There's something that you can't quite be the one in power. And here's the thing that's interesting about our strength, by the way. We actually have quite a bit of it. I think sometimes we hear the statements, you know, you know, I can do nothing apart from Christ. There's some truth in that, but there's also some truth in the fact that, no, 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 you can actually do quite a bit under your own strength. You can stand in the shallows. Think about Peter. What was he doing? He could catch fish. He would have hard times. Guess what? He'd, he'd live the fight another day, wouldn't he? And then the next day he'd catch fish and he'd have money. And you know what? You and I have a lot of strength. We can actually do a lot in this world, staying in the shallows. We can live a pretty good life. We can provide. We can take care of ourselves. We can even have happiness in some ways. There's a lot we can do under our own strength. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm actually inviting you to more than that, though. I'm inviting you to more than survival. I'm inviting you to, in this case, 
He was showing Peter, I can do way more than you can do. I can do it in ways that you never thought were coming. So this story about deep water is like, it's like really deep. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like deep. Because most of us like the shallow water in life. But here we are again, Jesus inviting us deeper and deeper. You know, in these places where he calls us in over our head, it's where faith moves from a tradition. You ever heard someone say it's a faith tradition? What's that? Or it's a set of beliefs? There's some truth in that. But there's a time when faith becomes more than a tradition or beliefs. Faith becomes something that's an action, right? Where you have to actually exercise 100% grace and 100% truth. Faith becomes an action where you don't get to hide in the shadows of popular culture. You know how many Christians do that now? We just hide in the shadows of popular culture. We don't really exercise grace and truth. We're just sort of silent people that, that, that privatized our faith. And we made faith a private thing. Whenever Faith was never supposed to be a tradition of beliefs that we can hold privately. Faith is an action that changes the world. Faith is an action that, that is transcendent and transforms. Faith is an action in which we're in over our heads every day. And we can't control what happens and we just trust that the power of God will come alive. Because our power and our strength, it's limited when it, we're in over our head. But we stay in the shallows when it's just a set of beliefs and it's a couple routines and practices that we do and it stays a relatively private matter. And we don't understand that faith is not any of those things. It's the most transcendent action you can ever do. The shallows are about our own power and abilities. It's about trusting in our own strength. So Jesus was inviting not only Simon to more than survival, because that's all it really was, the shallows, right? It's about our own survival. But he was inviting this woman at the well to a life of more than survival. Because what was she doing? She was carrying that bucket back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, right? And every day she had the strength to do that. She could do it. In fact, Who knows, that strength could have led her to not just survive, but maybe even thrive in some ways. But there was a day that came along in which she's carrying that bucket, the things she did every every day, and something changed in her. Something changed. She tasted something, she saw something, she experienced something, and she went back to that town, not carrying the bucket in her arms to tell everybody, look, I can continue to survive and perhaps thrive on my own, but instead she came back with what? She came back with a testimony and a story to tell. What does she say? She says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? There's more to that story in the coming weeks and what happens with her testimony. She left the bucket, and I believe this has all sorts of implications about life. Isn't the Bible amazing, by the way? One little sentence, she left the bucket, and it's like, there's a lot underneath that. There's a lot happening. 
it represents such a significant reality about you and me. And you know what the reality is? The reality is it's hard to put the bucket down. That's the reality. It's hard to see beyond the natural and material and to pursue the spiritual. That's a very hard thing to do. It's hard to see beyond that. It's hard to leave the shallows and go out into the deep. It's hard to trust God with things that, are, that we can't control. Is anybody with me? Isn't, aren't those things difficult? Isn't it hard to put the bucket down, the thing that we do, the thing that we can control, the thing that, sur- that, that helps us survive and provide? Isn't it hard to put the bucket down and to go into the deep, to put down the natural and to go into the spiritual, to, to let the temporal sit on the ground while you pursue the eternal? Isn't that difficult? Is anybody with me? It's difficult. You know why it's difficult? Because we actually have a lot of strength on our own and we can continue to just play the game. But it's difficult whenever you go, you know what? What I can't control and what I can't see and what I can't understand is actually better than the things that I do understand and that I can control and that I can do. And here's what I kind of realized as we were talking about this is I could, you know, I could sort of turn the corner here and sort of give you some oratory, like beautiful call to go deeper. But I won't. Because I've already been doing that. I hope it's been beautiful. We have been trying to inspire, so to speak, in this idea of wells that you should desire more. You should want to go deeper in your relationship with Christ. That's the heart. But then it kind of, I kind of thought, well, Maybe there's a lot of us that are sitting here with the desire to want to do this, the desire to put the bucket down, to go into the deep water, whatever metaphor we want to use. But we don't know how to. You know what I mean? How do I dig? How do I stop what I'm doing and dig a well? And so I'm going to spend just a few minutes talking about how to dig a well. Um, Now, this is not a all-inclusive list. There's probably other things. These are just practical things that I felt like we should start with on how we can put the bucket down, kind of the bucket of our own strength and our own productivity, um, and how to instead taste this living water. So first of all, um, I'm just going to go through these things. Some of them are more practical than than others. I hope it's going to be helpful. Well, first of all, we sang about this today, but pursuing a deeper relationship with God is about, it's first about loving Jesus. And I know this sounds incredibly simple and, and it seems obvious, but we have to, we have to start there because um, the thing that I know in life is that we spend time with and we serve and we're generous with who and what we love, right? I make commitments to the things and the people that I love. You put, put it in the context of marriage and you have a husband and a wife and the husband says he loves his wife, yet the husband doesn't really, you know, his life doesn't equate to that. He, he's, he doesn't spend a lot of time with her because he's always working. He spends a lot of extra time with business associates, right, or something like this. He doesn't make a lot of, his commitments are very non-committal, you know, what I mean by that. And, and, and he, he's very committed, though, to his job being success. What does he really love? He doesn't love his wife. What does he love? His work, Right? And this, this kind of thing makes a lot of sense, and we get that in human relationships. But within our relationship with Christ, there's, there's something strange that happens. We don't really equate the same 
definition of love to our Heavenly Father. We don't really see it in terms of time and serving and generosity and commitment. And so a lot of us, we live a life very non-committed, hardly any time, right? We don't serve them, and if we do, it's like just really, just really cupcake version, not, no pun intended, Kevin Durant. Uh, there's, you know, there's, uh, sorry. Um, but you get what I'm saying? We, we, don't, <laughs> we, don't define, we don't define love the same way with our Heavenly Father as we do others, because if we're going to say we love others, we're going to definitely give them time. We're going to definitely commit to them. We're gonna, so it starts with love. And when I say that, maybe we need to ask ourselves, you can go to this first thought, what do I love? What do I love? Because what you love, like I just said, you'll not only spend time with, you'll only, only be generous with, but you'll make commitments to. And some of you are going to discover when you ask the question, what do I love, that you maybe don't love the Lord like you should. And if you answer that question and, and, and your love for the Father and your love for like your family aren't right there at the beginning of your time and your commitment and your service and your generosity, um, you probably have some buckets to put down, all right? You probably have some things to set down in your life that you've made too much about who you are and you need to reassess where you want to channel and give your love to. So the first, this first thought is, is less practical, but it's very foundational. And I'm going to give you four more ideas that are much more practical uh, like I said, this is unofficial. I don't give a lot of lists, but when I do, I make sure I point out that I don't give a lot of lists. I don't know why I do that. Um, I don't know why I say that stuff. I just say it because it's funny to me. Um, number two, find a mentor. And find a mentor, intentional relationships. When I say this, this is going to seem like, okay, yeah, this is practical, but what, I mean, yeah, it's just one of those things everybody says find a mentor. I believe this is actually one of the most important things if you actually want to dig a well because you have to get around people in which you are hearing their story, hearing their, their example. You're going to get with people that you're going to learn from. What did you experience? Like, you're not going to get all of this insight in a list. You're going to get it in an interaction and in a story and in a relationship. And most of us, we, we perceive our relationship with Jesus like this individual pursuit to the summit of Everest. You know what I mean? And we're going to get there no matter what. And the only communal interaction we have are in environments like this that are really great, but what do they lack? They lack deep personal interaction. They, de- they lack deep storytelling with other, other believers and other people who want to sharpen one another. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. We can sharpen one another. We can make one another better. I want to show you a picture of how to make this sort of practical, if you will. This is a mentoring constellation. If you like to take notes, this is a good one. Draw it out. Okay, so you, you're in the center because you are the center of your world. Joke again. Um, so you are in the center. And you have different people around you. And here's what I would encourage you to consider. Who in your life is someone that you can not just like look up to like secretly, but that you have a relationship with that you say, they're a wiser sort of mentor in my life. And if you're like, how do I do that? That's kind of weird. I don't want to go, hey, will you mentor me? Uh, what if you just looked around even in this room and said, I, would, I think they have a well that I'd love to draw from, right? And you just go and you say, hey, can we, like, get coffee? I'd just love to pick your brain about some stuff. Shouldn't you ask somebody questions in your life? This is about creating conversations, creating new conversations. Peers, what that means is people that are in the same season of life, that are more than just friends, but that you talk to, talk to them about more stuff than just sports and everyday small talk like, how's your week going, right? 
That's who most of our friends, most of our friends, we just small talk with them, even though we love them. But what if you had a friend that you said, you know what, we want to, we iron sharpens iron, one friend sharpens another, let's, let's read a book together, let's, let's actually ask one another questions, let's be intentional once a month or once every once in a while, we go to lunch or go to coffee and you, you do stuff. And so this is about intentional relationships. And some of you, it doesn't matter how, by the way, anybody can do this. It doesn't have to be like just the people who are, you know, on the backside of their life. I mean, you can mentor someone younger than you, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. And if you're like, I don't want to walk up to say, hey, I believe I'm supposed to mentor you. I know that's a weird conversation. What do you say? Hey, you know what? I was just thinking, like, it'd be cool to hang out. You want to go coffee sometime? And you're with them. And then guess what? Then you're just like encouraging them. You're asking them about their life. You're like, hey, what's going on? How's your life with the Lord? And you start pouring into that person. And so many of us lack what for this to happen? Intentionality and courage. We don't have the courage to actually ask anybody anything real in life. And we don't have the intentionality, which in my mind means actual, uh, uh, you're not lazy, but you're intentional, right? Like you're going to step into things that are important. And we're not just going to sit back in the shadows of everything going on in life. But this is real. This is actually something that uh, kind of intersected my life several years ago. And it's been with me ever since. And I live it and I try and live it and try and continue to grow in it. All right, so the third point. We're going to move on. These are practical, right? Bold prayers. Things that only he can do. <laughs> you want to go deep. You want to leave the shallow waters. Well, you've got to start praying deeper, bolder prayers. Some of you are like, well, I don't even really pray. Well, maybe just take off the word bold then and just prayers. No, I'm just kidding. Bold prayers. Most of us pay, pray average non-transformational prayers. Thank you for this food. Lord, will you help me tomorrow as I carry this bucket again? We pray for things that we can do in our own strength. Help me with what I'm already doing. Shouldn't we be praying for things that we aren't doing? Shouldn't we be praying for things that only he can do? And so if you really want to dig deeper and you really want to say, I really want to dig a well, maybe your prayer life needs to change. And maybe you need to be praying for the Holy Spirit to do a work in that, you, that you've never experienced. Maybe you need to say, Lord, I don't understand all the ways of the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to pray that, Lord, you would do a work in me, that I would understand how your presence works in this world in absolutely new ways. Maybe you need to pray. Here's a bold prayer. What if you prayed, and this is, a, this, is a, this is a crazy one, what if you prayed that in the next year, in the next 12 months, you led someone to Christ? How many of you have ever even prayed that prayer? What if you prayed in the next 12 months that you could lead someone to Christ? That's a bold prayer. Because most of us have never even done it. And that's no shame, that's just the reality, that's the challenge that we live with. Let me show you uh, number four here. Spiritual disciplines. Of course, this is on the list if you really want to grow and dig a well. And spiritual disciplines are a beautiful way to connect to God and engage your soul. Um, things like study and prayer and uh, fasting and solitude and rest. And Some of you have explored this before and some of you maybe never have. Um, and, and I'm not going to give the time that they demand this morning because we just don't simply don't have it, but this this is probably one of the key disciplines that you must have, the key things that you must have in your life to really dive into the deeper end of life. 
Because this is where you spend time with the Lord. This is where you say, I love you so much that I'm going to give you time every day and I'm going to discipline my body. I love the words of Paul when he says, I discipline my body, I beat my body, I make it my slave. Meaning the flesh is not going to win. The spirit will. The spirit's going to win in me. So here's the deal. I, many of you have explored this, but I know some of you maybe you haven't. I want to give you some resources. I told you this is going to be practical, which is weird for me. But um, I want to give you some resources that you're like, how do I go deeper? I'm going to give you three books that have been huge in my life for spiritual disciplines. The Celebration of the Disciplines, The Path to Spiritual Growth by Richard Foster. Phenomenal book. By the way, this is a great slide to take a picture of. Because um, I know you're not going to write all this down. And Celebration of Disciplines, The Path to Spiritual Growth. It's a great book about all different types of spiritual disciplines that you can practice in your life. Everything from fasting. If you're like, I don't really understand all that, read this book. It's pretty heady, but it's really good. Um, Sacred Rhythms, Arranging Our Lives for Spiritual Transformation by Ruth Haley Barton. This is one of the best books I've ever read about rhythm in life. Like, what are you doing as you engage your day every day? Every day to live with Christ, there's, other, there's types of rhythms you can live with. It's really um, a powerful book. And then the last one, The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People by John Ortberg. One of the most practical spiritual discipline books you can read. So if you just really want something that, like, really helpful that's nuts and bolts, right there. So those are just some resources. And you're like, how do I just go on Amazon, order them? I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to be, like, I want you to walk out of here. You know when you're riding a bike? You know that kid who rides with no, with no ha- arms on the handles? And he's like, thinking he's all cool? Um, here's the deal. Most of us need handles. And so I'm not going to talk about wells and talk about going deeper, and I'm not going to give you any handles. These are your handlebars. These are the handles you need. I need to pray bolder prayers. I need to dig into spiritual disciplines. I need to make sure I really love the Lord. You see what I'm saying? I need to get mentors in my life. These are the handles if you really want to go deeper. And then the fifth one. Back to my general kind of big picture self here. Do something. Less practical, but very intentional. So often we stay in the shallow because um, we choose to do nothing. Nothing except the same old thing, right? The same bucket-carrying routine. So many of us are in a rhythm in life, but instead of the, the word rhythm, we should call it a rut, right? And we just keep doing the same thing, carrying the bucket back and forth. And there needs to come a moment when you put the bucket down and you do something different. And you say, okay, life is good. I can catch fish. I can get the water. But there's more? There's more. And some of you, you know, your life with God has been a set of beliefs in your head. It's been a set of uh, moral codes, so to speak. Like, you get it in some ways, but you also are like, I don't really get the person that's so passionate about God. Like, what is that really? The only time people become really passionate is they've stepped off of the shallows and into the deep and they fell into something that they didn't know what hit them. And they were in over their head and they've experienced the power and the love of Jesus. And and I'm just hopeful that you do. I'm hopeful that you taste this living water. And if you're like, well, what do I do? What does it mean do something? Do something. 
I, I, I say this to people every once in a while. You really want to live life, put something bold on your calendar. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, look at your calendar, pick a day, and put something bold on it. They're like, what does that mean? I'm like, well, for, my, for me, that means like, okay, I got a neighborhood party. I'm going to reach out and love my neighbors. You know? Your marriage is struggling. Put a weekend on there for your marriage, like a marriage retreat, right? Put something bold on your calendar. You want to do something. Look at your life. What do you need to put down? What do you need to pick up? Put something bold on your calendar. Do something. Walk across the room. Have a conversation. Say, hey, can I pick your brain about something? Can we go to coffee? If you're struggling with sin, get, get help. Do something. So these are five practical things that you can do. Starts with loving and making sure you're putting your love in the right ways and loving Jesus. That's where it all begins. Consider some mentors and relationships in your life. Be intentional with people. Um, start praying bolder prayers, things that only he can do, you can't do. Spiritual disciplines. Get a book. Read something. Grow in some fresh ways and then do something. Put your faith. What is faith? Faith isn't a tradition or a set of beliefs, even though it has beliefs in it. Faith is an action, right? Put your faith in action in a servant-minded way. Now, I would suggest all five of these happening, but here's what I know about practical things. You can't do all five of these things tomorrow. But maybe if one of these things will hit you today in a way that says, I got to do that, like now. And so what I really want you to consider is, what up here is the thing that you're like, that's where I need to begin. That's where I need to begin. Maybe all five of these things will come to play in my life, but I need to begin right there. And what I'm asking you to do is to, to thoughtfully and humbly consider, consider that. Where do you need to begin? What's the thing for you that says, I want to dig a well. I already have the desire. I've been inspired to. I want to go deeper. I want to step further. I'm already in the deep end. I want to go deeper. Uh, great. Well, what's the, what's the thing that just says, okay, God says, I'm inviting you deeper. I'm inviting you deeper. And maybe the words today are that invitation and they're giving actual handlebars to how you do it. So, right now, I'm asking you to actually identify it. What's the thing for you? So I would encourage you, and last simple thing is, again, I did imagine this being an incredibly practical ending if you're like, I don't know, um, I am saying and encouraging, take a picture of this, whatever you need to do, write it down. Because I'm hopeful that it'll just kind of continue to roll around in your head and in your heart over the next number of days and weeks. God is calling you deeper. And what God has for you is better than that bucket you're carrying around.